Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Picolsi. Thank you so much for giving me your time and attention today. We're going to give you so much value by diving specifically into muscle building. This process that over the last 20 years, I've been unraveling and discovering and exploring and ultimately, hopefully at one point, mastering. And I've put on so much muscle onto my puny little frame that I've learned a lot along the way. And I want to share some of that wisdom with you today, as I always do in the Muscle Intelligence community on Facebook and through my programming and courses online. Um, I want to offer you some insight and perspective on how you can ultimately make the most of your time in the gym. So dig in, get comfortable, grab a pen. Let's do this right after a message from our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by You Can. Ladies and gents, you guys have heard me talk about this in the past as being one of my secret weapons while I was following a ketogenic diet, or more specifically, a low-calorie diet that allowed me to keep my energy levels high and consistent through my training. I suggested to all my pro athletes, I suggested to anyone who wants to make the most of their training and is looking for an edge. You can as a super starch derived specifically from corn that you can consume in relatively high amounts without any digestive distress and ultimately without allowing your blood sugar to spike, which often is followed by a drop. So one of the beauty, one of the beautiful things about you can is you can take this stuff and not expect any energy crash, which happens when you take high glycemic carbs. It also happens when you take caffeine. You can take you can and feel consistent. So it's like a 10% increase. This is my subjective. Uh, feelings like this 10% increase in just overall energy. That's a good bump for most people, right? That's a really good bump for whether I'm training or I'm just trying to focus on recording a podcast, keeping my blood sugar consistent. Maybe it takes away those cravings because oftentimes cravings are associated with these fluctuations in blood sugar. So if you haven't already tried, you can. The amazing sponsor of the show, our great friends over at You Can are going to hook you guys up with 20% off, which is incredible. In the supplement space, you guys understand the margins are very small. So head over to You Can. You say U C A N dot co and use the code muscle to get hooked up with 20% off. Our great friends at UCAN are doing such great things. The business itself has started for an incredibly important reason to really save these children who are born with this disease that prevents them from storing blood glue or ultimately storing from glycogen and uh, allows them now to live longer lives because they don't have to constantly be eating to keep themselves alive which is such a true gift. And they turned it into an incredible business to help high-level athletes like yourself who want to get the most out of their life, out of their training, and ultimately thrive in whatever they do. Head over to ucan.co, ucan.co. Use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up at 20% off. One more time, ucan.co. Head over there right now and get hooked up with 20% off. Or you can listen right to the end of the show and head over there right afterwards. Back to the show. All right, ladies and gents, back to it. Let's talk about muscles. So when I was 15 years old, I set out to build some muscle and I knew nothing about it. I had no genetics. I had literally no muscle in my body. In fact, I was, many of you don't know this, I was a vegetarian and a long distance runner. And uh, I think I wasted away all my muscle, eating no protein, doing a lot of long distance running. And uh, the primary staples in my diet at the time were apples, muffins, and power bars, if you guys remember those incredible um, pieces of effectively rock power bars back in the day. This is circa 1996 to age me. Anyone out there, most of you guys may not have been alive, 
But uh, <laughs> circa 1996, these amazing power bars that you could literally just like, you could also hammer in a nail before you ate it and you can consume these. And this was the primary uh, sources of my calorie consumption. So when I went to train, uh, I did have quite a bit of energy. I just didn't have a lot of strength. And I thought by my recovery was pretty poor. So I started researching, I started doing a lot of reading, um, and I found this, this path of starting to just like consume everything I could because I had this insatiable desire. Once I found muscle building in of itself, I just knew that it's what I wanted to do. There was nothing else I wanted to do. At the time, I was a very successful athlete, um, very successful baseball player, and I was pursuing you know, my, my dream of being in the major leagues. Whether that would have made it is, remains to be seen. But as soon as I found bodybuilding, it completely threw off my ability to play sports, threw off my coordination. Uh, but it didn't matter to me. I just wanted to build muscle. So I sought out, to, I set out to find the best information, the best people to mentor me in the world. And now here's a challenge. When I started, it didn't happen very quickly. There wasn't anybody at that time who was exceptional. I found people like Charles Poliquin, who was an incredible mentor to me. And Charles, as many of you know, didn't really know a lot about muscle building. He was an exceptional uh, athletic coach. He was an exceptional strength coach. But when it came to muscle building, Charles's experience and his interest probably was minimal. So I was learning about muscle building from a guy who maybe didn't know about muscle building. And then I would start to go and look at Olympic coaches and go, what are they doing? And, and what I started to realize is that people at the highest level of a human performance realize that the human body is the human body. And we all have to move optimally at the foundation of everything. So whether I'm trying to be a really good volleyball player, or I'm trying to be a really good hockey player, I'm trying to be a great golfer, or I'm trying to be a bodybuilder, which was me, my movement needed to be accurate. And I discovered this very, very early in my life. I discovered this probably around the age of 19 or 20, that maybe even earlier, that movement was really important. But here's the thing. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew that how I did things was incredibly important. So I started to pay attention. I started to read even more. I started to pay attention to how things felt to me. And I started to ultimately just start working hard. And so even though I had this conscious attention in the background of wanting to pay attention to how I did things, working hard still always seemed to come first because everywhere you read, everywhere you look, everyone's like, man, you just got to work hard. You just got to crush it. And you know, 19-year-old Ben is uh, one, very insecure two, really inspired and, and maybe uh, going through a lot of pain because I really wanted to be a great athlete. I really wanted to be a great bodybuilder. So it was this running away from pain uh, drive that, that pushed me to pursue ultimately becoming one of the biggest bodybuilders on the planet during my career. And so, you know, fast forward, uh, how old was I? So fast forward 2007 now. So I'm 26 at the time. And I'm preparing for my first Canadian nationals. So as a young bodybuilder, uh, 24, 25, 26 years old, um, I just worked really hard. I had some good, you know, I was better than most people when I came to the gym. I had some understanding because I studied everything. I read every book. I read the anatomy textbooks. I studied in university. But even then, my understanding was relatively limited. So I tell you this story because in 2007, I'm, I believe it's on the order of nine weeks from the Canadian nationals. I mean, I was actually 11 weeks. And I had this terrible, terrible knee pain and it wasn't an injury because it wasn't like something specifically happened. It was from training. It was from whatever I was doing. I got to the point where I couldn't walk up and down stairs. I tell you this because um, I had effectively retired from bodybuilding. I was like, you know what? I, I can't move my leg. I thought I had to get surgery. I've been to every therapist. Nobody could help me. So I discovered, well, not, not, maybe not coincidence, right? Never a coincidence. Perhaps I discovered a man by the name of Peter, uh, Peter Chason and, uh, Say, uh, I say that with a little bit of 
sadness in my heart after Peter passed away and left us in 2012. But I won't get into that story. But Peter was a great mentor to me and really took me under his wing and taught me everything there is to know that what has eventually evolved into the genre, we'll say, or the niche of intelligent muscle building. Peter was a far better coach than I will ever be. Peter is a far better teacher than I'll ever be. And uh, he took me under his wing as a friend, as a mentor, as a coach, um, and taught me everything that I knew at the time, certainly not everything he knew, but everything I knew. And he started to introduce me to this, this possibility that there was more to exercise than simply working hard, simply slinging weights from point A to point B. He started to introduce me to the concept of tension, the concept of muscles understand tension. He started to introduce me to the fact that exercise is physics. And when he first told me that, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. There's math in the gym. And I'd studied this in university. I knew a little bit, but in reality, I knew I knew effectively nothing about exercise. But what it did is it allowed me to open my mind, allowed me to challenge what I think I knew about exercise. And if you can't do that, the likelihood of you ever getting better at something you're doing is effectively zero. So let's start there. Let's start with this possibility. And I'm not telling you that, that I'm right and you're wrong or you're wrong and I'm right. I'm just saying, let's start with an open mind and maybe explore the possibility that there's more to exercise than simply working hard. Because if you're someone who's at home right now or driving in the car, driving to the gym or wherever you are, and you're of the belief that working hard is your only lever or your biggest lever even to make progress, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. There's so much you can do that precedes effort that will get exponential progress, right? So if you're an athlete, if you've ever played a sport, a good, a good metaphor you use is typing on a, on a keyboard or even maybe type playing on a piano. If you've ever, obviously everyone's typed on a keyboard, if you've ever played a piano, when you start, typically, what do you do? Everyone starts with one finger. If you do it long enough, you get pretty good typing with one finger. If somebody comes along and says to you, hey, I've got this better way, but it requires you using all of your fingers and you start it and you try it and you're like, oh my gosh, this feels terrible. I can't do this. And you're going slower at first. You're like, oh my gosh, this is this doesn't feel very good. I feel very uncoordinated. It actually causes me pain because like, Oh, my ego says I used to be faster at when I was just using one finger. So I'm just going to go back to that. Screw this. But if you think about it, it's pretty darn obvious that typing with all of your fingers is going to be faster than one finger. You may have heard me talk about this metaphor in the past, but it's important to think about. So when I'm coming to you and I'm saying, hey, I can teach you effectively how to apply that principle to your training. Think of how much more effective your training could actually be when we actually say, hey, stop using one finger. Let's use them all. We can be so much more effective. And guess what? You don't even have to work hard. You can actually make huge amounts of progress in really short amount, short amount of time, not ever having to work hard or go fast. Just like, let's, let's be intentional about this. Let's teach our fingers how to play the piano and teach our muscles how to contract when it comes to the gym. And all of a sudden, results become effectively exponential over what they would have been in the past. And that's a really great metaphor for what I want to teach you guys today. So thank you for listening to my story. Now on to the good stuff, on to the goods. So when I frame a body transformation, whether you're a client or whether I'm teaching as a coach, I frame it under the premise of the six pillars of a lean, healthy, and muscular body. You guys have heard me talk about this before. What are those pillars? So here's the way I frame this. So sometimes fitness can be incredibly daunting. It can seem like there's just so much to think about. There's so many things. There's so many aspects of fitness. In reality, if you break it down, there aren't. There's only actually six things that you can do to impact your body. Did you know that? 
there's really six things. Now, under the, those subcategories of each six, are, there's a lot, but there's really only six what I call inputs that go into the system. So here's how I want you to envision this. Envision your body as an internal system. Assume it was, it's always engaging with the external world, right? Your internal body is always interacting and engaging with the external world. And there's only six points of interaction with the external world. So this, the way those six points are uh, occurring around you influences how the internal body will express. So all these external signals create an internal response. So think that, think about that. So right now I'm staring at my window, I'm looking at the sun, going into my eyes. My body is receiving that information and maybe turning on certain genes, maybe causing certain hormonal responses, maybe doing certain things with certain vitamins and, and cells in my body, but it's ultimately interpreting the light. It's interpreting the air. It's interpreting my movement. It's inter interpreting these six things. I'm going to tell you what they are right now. So these are what we call the six pillars of a lean, healthy, and muscular body. So one, and in no particular order, one is movement. Two is nutrition or nourishment. So it's what we, the way we move, what we eat, how we think, how we breathe, how we sleep. That's five. So refresh your memory. Movement, eating, thinking, breathing, sleeping. And the sixth one, the environment in which we do these things. So there's six things. If you think, if you break it down, those are the only six inputs. That's all you can do. So if you can take control of those six things, you can change your body. So now instead of you think of 8,000 different things that everyone's yelling and screaming and everyone's saying, these to be this, it's got to be that. Which one of these is the most important lever for you right now. So if we were to assess those, let's say we assess them on a scale of one to five or one to 10 or one to hundred, whatever works for you. Which one for you is the greatest deficit, has the greatest disparity between where you are and where you want to be? And if we want to influence it, we simply start taking action to influence it. So now we realize when there's only six things to influence, it feels like to me, it's an empowering place to come at the world because I go, oh, well, I can influence those. Am I getting enough movement? Is it good quality movement? Am I getting enough nutrition? Is it good quality nutrition? Or am I getting too much nutrition? How are my thoughts? Can I create systems to influence my thinking and my perception? How is my breathing? Because my breathing is a huge influence on my internal physiology. How is my sleep? And ultimately, how is my environment? So I'm going to go into each of those in coming episodes. I'm not going to go into all of those today, but here's what I want you to know. Not one is more important than the other. Why? When you talk to a nutritionist, the nutritionist will say, you know, a nutrition is the most important thing. When you talk to someone who's a movement expert or a trainer, say, nutrition or sorry, training is the most important thing, right? And when you talk to someone who's a sleep expert, now sleep is by far the most important thing. Here's the reality. None of them are the most important, except depending on who you're referring to. So if you're someone who maybe lacks in one of these areas, then maybe it is the most important for you. But if you're someone who's very good at it, maybe it's not that important. So it's important to acknowledge that ultimately any of these can be the most important lever for you. And you want to learn how to influence all of them. So whether you're a coach or you're someone just learning to uh, transform your body, this is the framework. So literally picture yourself on a big whiteboard, put a big happy smiley face on, your, on yourself, and all these external signals exist around you. And they're creating this internal response, this internal environment in the body that then turns on certain genes, turns off certain other genes, and expresses the way you look on the outside. So if you don't like the way your body looks on the outside, it's the sum total of all of these six pillars put into one and then expressing itself externally. Good way to think about it. So today I want to talk about movement. I want to talk about specifically about training. Now, when I look at movement, I kind of chunk it down to six subcategories. So everyone needs to, or not everyone needs to, everyone, most people will want to involve some level of these four types of movement. So when I break a fitness routine down, I'm looking at these four types of movement. 
So depending on the first one that I'll say is going to be um, strength training and strength or resistance training and weight training. So any, any way you want to say that strength training, resistance training, weight training, that's one, right? Strength. We need some semblance of that, regardless if we're uh, 15 or 16 or we're 65, we need some semblance of resistance training because that's what ultimately builds our muscles and our muscles are our metabolic machinery that we know are beneficial for longevity, beneficial for glucose disposal, for body composition, for burning calories, all these amazing things, hormone regulation. So we need strength training and some amount, and I won't tell you what amount, but I'll tell you how to determine. And then from there, we also need mobility and stability, right? We need to be able to move. If we can't access the range of motion, we can't train it there. So if we want to be able to build our pecs, we have to have a full access at that shoulder joint to be able to train the entire pec through its entire range of motion. So we need mobility and stability. Third, we need aerobic fitness, which can then be categorized into high intensity, low intensity, cardiovascular fitness. And any way you want to, you want to summarize that, we need some type of aerobic cardiovascular training. And the fourth one, and this one's a little bit more specific, it's skill. So it's, um, it's maybe athletic specific, athlete specific, sport specific, right? So if I'm a hockey player, I need to do skill-based training. And some people don't want to do any skill-based training. And some people want to do a lot of skill-based training. So if you want to be a CrossFitter, you need a lot of skill-based training. Um, and, and if you want to be just a bodybuilder, if you want to be a physique athlete, maybe you need less skill-based training. Although I will say that each one of these other categories, strength training, mobility, stability, and aerobic training are also skills and people don't acknowledge that. So when I train someone, whether it be a high level athlete or grandma Sue, who's 70 years old, I say, Hey, uh, it's very important that we build the skill of all of these things I need you to be good at. So we create this, this three phased approach, which all of my coaches teach. I teach in my coaching, a simple three phase approach, which phase one is when it comes to movement is exclusively focused on skill acquisition. We call it a primer phase, right? So we go through this, what we call a primer phase to allow your body to learn. It's called uh, developing the motor engrams or developing unconscious competence. We want to get you to the point where you have unconscious competence, which means you don't think about it. You just know how to do it. Is that possible in a short amount of time? Usually no, but we want to work toward it. So that's really our focus is learning skill. So those are your four kind of subcategories when it comes to movements, and everyone should have some balance of all of those. I also said that we will tell you how to determine how much you want. Well, it's really simple. So if we eliminate skill from the equation for now, because skill sometimes is a completely different animal, when I'm training someone for a physique show or a physique transformation, I'm balancing these three dynamic, um, call it levers. So strength training, mobility, stability, and aerobic fitness. And so determining how much of each one this person needs uh, is simply based on their goal and where they are now. So if you want to build muscle and get stronger, let's put on, let's increase the frequency and volume and all these variables of the strength training and resistance training. If you're looking to get more mobile or maybe improve your ability to have less pain, we're going to do more mobility and stability training. If you need to improve your aerobic fitness, your recoverability, your HRV, decrease your stress, improve your fat loss. Maybe we do a little bit more aerobic training. Again, all of them have um, benefits. So we just need to look based on the benefit that I'm trying to achieve right now. What do I do? And here's the thing this is dynamic, it changes every week. It can literally change week to week. This week, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm feeling like I need a little more aerobic fitness. I want to do a little more aerobic fitness. I need a little bit better emotional resilience. I need a little bit better um, calmness in my life, a little more focus. I need a little better recovery. I'm going to do a little more uh, aerobic fitness this week, or maybe it's high intensity, maybe it's low intensity, whatever, some variation of that. 
oh, this week, you know, I'm feeling really tight. I've been sitting a lot. I'm traveling a lot. I'm going to increase my mobility and stability to three to four times a week, right? So it's the dynamic process of like, hey, there's no one size fits all model. It's learning how to use these levers and do as many as you want. So hopefully everyone's writing this down, taking notes, and walking through a bunch more stuff. So when we get into training, um, there's there's depths of training, right? Depths. <laughs> I can enunciate myself. So when we get into the gym, let's say now we're, we're talking specifically about tra- tra- strength training. So we're chunking down into strength training. There's, there's really, how I think about it, three things that I want you to do when you walk into the gym, three things that I want you to be super, super aware of and ultimately be intentional about. And again, that, those three things further subcategorize down. So the way I've started this conversation, we're starting really high level and we're starting to chunk down and chunk down and chunk down. And eventually we get really specific. So now we're chunking down a layer deeper from this strength training piece. So when it comes to strength training, there's three things I want you to think about when you step in the gym. Exercise selection, exercise execution, and intentional progress. You guys may have seen me do a post about this recently. You may have seen me send an email about this recently in my VIP newsletter. So intentional exercise selection, exercise execution mastery, and intentional progress. So exercise selection is something that often gets overlooked, doesn't it? So when people watch um, me or another bodybuilder or a YouTube uh, celebrity or whomever, somebody's got a great physique, do an exercise. They go, hey, person X does this exercise. So therefore, I should do it too. You guys have heard me talk about this a thousand times. That is incorrect. Just because an exercise fits me or anyone else doesn't mean it also fits you well. And it also doesn't mean you should do it the same way we do. Why? We're built differently. We're built so differently. Our mechanics are different. Our levers are different. The way our body is designed to oppose force is effectively just different. So all exercise is effectively is our body's attempt to oppose or move forces. So you have to think of, okay, if this body, this internal system is designed to create external force production, again, we're getting into a deeper territory maybe, but what is the best way for it to do it? So rather than just mindlessly doing what other people say or do, I have to think about it and I have to say, okay, if I'm trying to lift this particular weight, or maybe said it another way, maybe I'm trying to build this specific muscle. What does this muscle do? And how do I specifically challenge that muscle? So instead of going, hey, a bicep curl, change your biceps, or a bench press, change your pec, throw that out. Just completely get rid of it. It's a silly paradigm. You have to ask yourself, what does this muscle actually do? And how can I make that as challenging as possible? So now I'm going to look at a resistance in terms of how can I make this thing as hard as possible, rather than how can I just lift this thing up and move from point A to point B? Exercises, as I said a zillion times on this podcast, about challenging muscle. It's about maximally challenging muscle, maximally contracting muscle against resistance. That's it. It's not about how can I do three sets of eight or four sets of eight or anything like this. It's like, hey, how do I maximally make this muscle work as hard as possible? So coming back to this, exercise selection. Now I'll tell you, exercise selection breaks down further into three subcategories. So what can I access? Meaning what can I move into, which is mobility? What can I control, which is stability? And what can my body ultimately tolerate? So uh, how much before it starts to break down? And those are three questions. Those are, again, high-level questions that I teach to coaches, but uh, simple, right? What can I access? So what can I, um, can, what can I move into? Meaning, what can I actively move into? Not like moving me into. If I have to put three plates on the bar to pull me into a squat, that's not me accessing it. That's the bar pushing me there, and that causes injuries. What can I actually control? And control is, is the same as stability. And what can I tolerate? Those are my three prerequisites to exercise selection. And ultimately, you could add another one, which is like, what's my goal? And am I, am I, can I choose an exercise that fits that goal? Now, 
understanding exercise selection is deep. So I have an entire module on this in my certification coming up. So there's huge numbers of things that go into what actually influences which um, exercise you should do. And it's like, yeah, I won't even get into the list as long. I could probably spend a 30 minute podcast or longer talking about that. So moving along from there, exercise execution is number two. So one is selection, two is execution. And now the aspiration of all of you should be exercise mastery. And what does that look and feel like? I want an exercise to be maximally challenging at every millimeter of every rep. That doesn't mean I'm trying to complete three sets of eight. That doesn't even mean I'm trying to get stronger yet, right? Yes, I want to get stronger. Of course, it's important. But first, I want to get better and better at controlling the entire range of motion. Why? If you get stronger in limited ranges of motion, your range of motion will get smaller. Your joints will get tighter. That's not a good thing. We ultimately want to be as strong as possible or as strong as the muscle is capable of at every segmental aspect of a range of motion. What does that mean? bottom of a bench press, the mid range of a bench press, the top of a bench press, or any exercise. So think of exercise in three components, even though this is an overgeneralization. You have lengthened, you have mid-range, and you have shortened, right? So stretched, mid, and contracted. And those need to be proportionally strong relative to what they're capable of. Not necessarily, that's almost never, does that mean a single weight? Meaning if I'm really able to do a hundred pounds in the middle of the range, I most often will not be able to do a hundred pounds in the length in the short range. Again, it's variable. This is what's called a resistance profile or maybe a strength profile. So a strength profile is my ability to generate strength inside my body. A resistance profile is the way resistance imparts force against my body. Ideally, these two things are um, matching. Ideally, so the external external forces against my body match to my internal ability to produce force. That's the ideal circumstance. So that's how we start to begin to master exercise execution. So summarizing again, we've got one selection, two execution mastery, and three intentional progress. So if you guys did watch my video lately, there should be on, on Instagram, there should be some high degree of attention paid. Once you've Select the right exercises. You've begun to master execution. The next step, which everyone seems to overlook, is intentional progress. Now, this effectively is the same thing as progressive overload, right? So most people would say progressive overload is king, and, and I don't disagree. But uh, well, maybe I do disagree. I would say that it's not. I'd say it comes further down the line. I would say exercise execution is king, and maybe progressive overload is queen. Although you could make arguments for other things as well. So progressive overload does matter. So again, coming back to how we progressively overload. So this is where people would normally hear things like uh, progressing exercise variables. So when I sit down to write a program, I'm going to give you some ideas of all the things that kind of could go into uh, intentional progression. So one, first of all, choose one or two of these variables, not all of them. Usually it's one, maybe two max, and we're going to progress them. And sometimes we can regress them and we'll talk about that too. So most people immediately go to, I need to do more volume or I need to do more load, right? More volume means more total sets, more total reps, um, more load means I simply need heavier weight. Now that's only two of the variables. And, and to me, those are the last two that come, right? Do those matter? Of course, they're very, very big levers, but there's other ones you could do first and make better progress. And here's the best thing, sustainable progress, right? Well, we make progress and we make really fast progress. We get really strong and then we get injured. Guess what? That's not ideal. I want to make progress that I can sustain now and forever. 
So what are the other things? The first place I typically start is with time. And I would manipulate that with tempos. I may have you do a longer tempo, uh, a slower tempo, more controlled. Maybe it's more uh, time in the eccentric. Maybe it's time more time in the concentric. Maybe it's more time in isometric. And we're having a little more time in that mid net, those lengthened or shortened positions, just simply holding and they're pushing against an immovable object. Isometrics. So we manipulate time. And then maybe we manipulate density, which is another form of time, simply decreasing or increasing the amount of time between sets. That's a completely different signal than if we're doing, you know, 30 seconds as compared to 60 seconds as compared to two minutes between sets. Those are very different signals. Just as doing 30 seconds of time during the set is very different than doing 10 seconds of time during a set is very different than doing 60 times seconds of time during during a set. Right. So we have time during the set, and we have time between sets. So if you hear me talk about progress, often I'll talk about TDL, time, distance, load. So first we challenge time, and that's during the set and between sets. Then we can challenge distance, and that's another thing that I'm not going to talk about today. But if you've ever taken one of my courses or seen any of my videos, you see that distance is equally as important as load. People don't acknowledge that. The distance away from the axis is half of the equation of torque. Yes, I won't get into torque, but if you understand exercise period, you understand that torque is something you should understand at depth. Um, moving along, there's also things that we can do, like, uh, like I mentioned, ascending or descending load, right? Increasing or decreasing load. That's important. That changes things. We can also change frequency, how often we do this. We can also change the number of sets to failure, sometimes otherwise called reps in reserve, right? So am I doing one set to failure, two sets to failure, three sets to failure? That progressing week on week is a means of progression. So is my body capable of that? So here's where this all summarizes into. What, can I, what am I capable of? What am I capable of recovering from? That's, and ultimately, where's my goal? But that's what you should be thinking about. So what am I capable of doing well? And, and doing it well is always the acid test, right? Am I able to do this well? And if you can't, you stop. If the set starts to lose form, if the workout starts to uh, fade a little bit and your form starts to be weighing a little bit, the workout is done. Why? Come back again sooner and do it again with a little bit more intentionality. So you guys have heard me talk about execution in the past. The foundation of all progress in execution is intentionality. What does that mean? Bringing your attention into the present moment and being focused and being intentional about how you train. Rather than mindlessly training, we mindfully train. Ah, imagine that. Mindfully contracting muscle against resistance. That's how we summarize exercise. So hopefully that gives you guys a beginning understanding of what needs to happen in the gym. And now what I will say is a few things that are going to come up in your mind that's going to be hard uh, or maybe new is the foundation of, of all muscle contraction is stability. So you should absolutely aspire to creating massive amounts of internal stability, meaning if I ran at you from the side you could anchor yourself deeply into the ground, lock your muscles in place, and I wouldn't move you. You're becoming a movable object. The less movable you are, the more resistance you can move. So at the foundation of everything we do, three letters, write these down. Mobility, stability, skill, right? So I need to be able to access the range. I need to be able to stabilize in each position. I need to be able to have the skill to move through this range of motion with resistance. So the foundation of everything we do, mobility, stability, skill. And now at the, at the foundation of skill, I'm going to give you another three-letter acronym. And I'm sorry for all the acronyms. Uh, we have setup, stabilize, initiate. 
right? And that's, these are things that I teach consistently in my camps around the world and my courses. This is like simple, simple, simple frameworks that once you get it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so easy, right? I know it sounds like a lot today. You're probably going to listen to this podcast seven times before you get any of these acronyms. And I apologize for that, but it really, if you, if you narrow it down, it really simplifies it. So we have mobility, stability, and skill, right? Because I need to be able to access the range and stabilize it and be able to go through the motion. And if you break down skill deeply, you go, okay, well, if I want to be able to master the skill, I need to learn to set my body up to oppose the resistance. I need to uh, stabilize it and I need to initiate with the working muscle. So every exercise, as I step into it, I'm walking through that framework. So at the level of the uh, exercise, when I pick a bench press or a row or anything like that, I go, what's my setup? How do I stabilize? And how do I initiate? It's really simple, right? So that's at the level of the exercise. So think through that. And there's a few more things I want to talk about in today's podcast before I depart for another week. And so, by the way, thank you very much for the incredible feedback we've been getting on the solo cast. And it's actually really motivated me to keep going. A lot of people have been sending in some really great feedback. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, I do appreciate you leaving us a review. And obviously, please subscribe to the podcast. The more subscriptions we get, the better the sponsors we can get. And we can keep the show going for free for you. So uh, thank you for supporting us. A few people have mentioned that they would love to support the podcast through Patreon or some other podcast support platform. I've never even considered it, but I've had huge numbers of people lately saying, hey, you should do this so that um, you know we can support you and you can continue to bring us great information and invest more time into learning and teaching. Uh, so thank you to everyone who said that and I'm looking into it. So uh, something to consider. I, I'd never even thought about it in the past, but um, I've had a large number of people actually suggest it. So again, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or make anybody angry. I think I'm, I'm trying to to, gay, to, to gouge anybody. That's not my intention. It's just like, hey, can we actually uh, do something to support the podcast, to support the production so uh, we can continue to bring you amazing info and continue to study and learn and grow. Okay. So moving along, um, I also wanted to talk about mindset. You guys come to me for mindset. And so what I talked to my coaching group about this week was this idea of comfort and I may have mentioned this a little bit last week and I talked about it again. Comfort is interesting, isn't it? So I think I mentioned last week that good is the enemy of great. And I talked a little bit about comfort, but I've been, I've been noticing more and more that comfort is built into our society. And I wonder, uh, you know, I think humans just aspire to comfort. We aspire to simplicity. We aspire to making things easier. That is our genetic programming. That's not something that, um, typically we would want to override, right? When I see a large object on the floor, my body unconsciously just knows how to pick it up using the least amount of possible effort. Your body's designed for that, right? Your body's trying to conserve energy. So when you think about the idea of procrastination, procrastination, ultimately, if you look at that from an energy perspective, it's your body trying to keep you alive. Your body goes, hey, using this mental and physical energy is very, very costly, I'm going to sit on my button. I'm going to procrastinate this a little bit. I think procrastination is evolutionary, right? People that procrastinate, maybe they conserved energy. Maybe they weren't constantly just always doing stuff, right? If you're constantly doing stuff a couple thousand years ago, you're toast, maybe a couple tens of thousand years ago, but you're toast because you probably didn't have enough calories to do it. Now we have such an abundance of calories. Now we uh, attach to being high achievers, right? So, but if you think of evolutionarily, we're all meant to be lazy. We're all meant to conserve energy and do the least amount possible, or at least in the most efficient way. That's how our body's designed. And now we're we're aspiring to do more with ourselves and become something, and, and uh, you know, become successful or, or follow our dreams or whatever it happens to be. 
but our, our default in our body or ultimately our society is built around laziness. It's built around ease of consumption. So if you, if you desire to get outside of these boundaries or these walls that we set around ourselves and in our minds and start to pursue something greater than you are now, it absolutely 100% positively requires you to get uncomfortable. Intentionally curating obstacles every single day is a necessary prerequisite to growth, right? Stepping outside of your comfort zone doesn't always feel good, at least in the beginning. So we need to be super intentional about how am I getting, how am I progressing toward my goal? How am I getting uncomfortable today, right? And then changing your relationship and your association with this discomfort. So if I'm moving toward a goal, I know I'm moving toward a goal and I'm excited about that goal, maybe it doesn't feel uncomfortable anymore. But if I'm not really moving toward a goal and I'm not really excited about where I'm going, guess how uncomfortable that goal feels? It can feel heavy. It can feel hard. It can feel challenging. But if you're incredibly enthusiastic and confident and certain about your goal, no discomfort, nothing is terrifying, right? There's no discomfort. It feels good. You're like, yeah, I know I'm moving toward my stuff, right? So if I know I'm dieting for the Mr. Olympia contest, being hungry feels awesome because I know I'm working harder than everybody else. If I'm just like not just hanging out, I have no goal, then all of a sudden being uncomfortable hurts. If I'm trying to save a million dollars in a year, spending a little less money feels good. If I'm not setting any goals, then if I'm, if I'm not spending money, it feels bad, right? Saving money doesn't feel so good anymore. So this is how goals necessitate or are a prerequisite, we'll say, for progress. Because if you don't have these goals, you don't have a compass, you don't have anything to move toward. It's very hard to sit in your discomfort. It's very hard to uh, experience any type of pain or uh, any type of disturbance in how you feel and actually be okay with it. And this is why successful people set goals. We have to have immediate goals. We have to have deadlines. We have to move toward them with conviction. If we don't, Anytime something uncomfortable fills up, we stop. So I strongly suggest each and every one of you stop right now. If you're not setting goals, spend an hour of your week every week, one hour, writing down your goals, getting clear on your goals, and then saying, what can I do right now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day? The smallest thing that I can do every single day that will move me toward that goal. If it's like, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds of body fat. Let's say 20 pounds of body fat. So we always make the goal a little bit bigger so it excites us or makes us a little bit frightened. And then we take one step towards attainment. Let's say, okay, I'm going to commit to walking for 10 minutes every day. Maybe I'll commit to walking for 10 minutes after every meal. Oh, imagine that. When you start walking 10 minutes, then it turns into 15 and turns into 20 and you can progress. So my encouragement for you guys this week is explore something that, that feels uncomfortable. You know, maybe something that terrifies you something that uh, hurts. I don't mean that in a bad way. No one being crazy and doing anything that's going to physically hurt yourself. But I mean, just a little bit of discomfort, right? I call it a disturbance in the force. You guys have heard me say that before. You feel your body and you sit with a little bit and you go, I'm a little uncomfortable. Smile. How do you get to the deepest depths of your hardest workout? Is it fun? Not in the beginning. Once you start to associate progress with that discomfort, now it's amazingly fun and it's fulfilling and it feels great, right? So we learn to change that association. So if you're someone who has had trouble with something in the past, let's say you don't like exercise. Let's say you find it hard. So you kind of dread it. All that means to me 
is that you've had an experience in the past that has created a negative association with that thing. doesn't mean all exercise is bad. It simply means that you have an association, usually from high school gym class or some embarrassing experience you've had that allows your brain has then generalized to mean all exercise is uncomfortable or bad or embarrassing or whatever. That's all not true. And you can completely learn to change your associations. And it can exercise just an example, but it can literally be anything just by intentionally moving closer and closer and closer to proficiency or getting better at it, or maybe just going, oh my gosh, I actually enjoy this. Because now you're doing it within a controlled way with intentionality and moving towards your goals rather than creating an association from something that's happened in the past. So one of the things you guys will often hear me say from this day forward is exploring outside the walls we set in our minds, exploring outside these boundaries that we set in our minds, right? So these belief systems we have are creating boundaries and walls in our minds. It's exploring outside of it. So what is the boundary? What's that little bit of discomfort you feel? There's your boundary. My suggestion is you stick one foot on this side of the boundary, one foot on the other side of the boundary. People who are high achievers and successful have one foot on the other side of discomfort at all times. And we, th- we live there. We thrive there. We go, man, this is going to suck, but I'm going to do it. And here's the crazy thing about life. It's really, really easy to live on that side of discomfort. Here's the other thing about life. It's really, really easy to not live on that side of discomfort. That's the crazy thing about success and progress. It's actually easy to do, but it's also not easy to do. It's easy not to do. So think about it. Where are you living right now? Be intentional about how you live. Set weekly goals, set daily goals, move toward them. Make sure you're intentionally inducing some type of discomfort. Get out of your comfort zone, outside of your comfort zone in some way. And the only way to do that is by setting goals and adhering to them. It doesn't have to be big. It can be really, really small at first. It can be baby bite-sized goals at first. But eventually, once you prove to yourself you're the type of person that follows through, you can build on them. So ladies and gents, I hope that was great for you. I hope you got a little bit of value. If you did, I would appreciate you sharing with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this podcast. If you're the type of person who wants to see others succeed and lift others up like I am, uh, share with at least one person you know who wants to build muscle and live their greatest life in a body they love. This podcast is brought to you by You Can, our incredible sponsors, providing the highest quality, uh, slow-burning carbohydrate. They call it a super starch. Because when you consume it, it doesn't spike your blood sugar. It allows you to increase your performance significantly, uh, especially when you're in a calorically depleted state or if you're someone who's really trying to push the envelope and really, really get a lot out of your training, I highly suggest you check out UCAN, UCAN.co. Use the code MUSCLE to get hooked up with 20% off. Thank you so much, UCAN, for doing what you do and for providing our listeners, our amazing listeners, our amazing audience with a discount. Head over to UCAN, UCAN.com slash muscle. Ladies and gents, thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys supporting the podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, do so on iTunes or Apple Podcasts now. Do so on Spotify. You can also do so on YouTube. I look forward to hearing all of your comments and your reviews and seeing you on the next episode of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Ben Pakulski, out. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.